Welcome to another episode of POP, your weekly conversation to improve your points of performance in training. This week, our special guest is our longtime gym crush, Mia Hesketh. Not only is Mia one of CrossFit's heavy hitters, she's also now balancing life as a professional athlete with being a mum. You can't always believe everything you see on social media, and Mia shares her tough road to picking up some of the higher skills in gymnastics and bouncing back postpartum. It's inspired us to continue pursuing perfection and just doing the boring stuff daily to get better. hundred people have listened to this podcast. It's over a thousand. So thank you to everyone out there who has us in your ears right now because you're helping us go global, baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but thank what we want to say is thank you to everyone who has been listening and enjoying these conversations because they're helping us and hopefully they're helping you too. Yeah. I think um it's always nice to like talk things through and feel like you're not alone. So I guess Hopefully that's helping all you as much as it's helping us. Absolutely. And if you listened to last week's episode, you'd know it's helping my training a lot. But how's training been for you since we last spoke? Well, pretty cool. So I... um, Yeah, tell us about the fun things that you've been doing. (laughs) I mean, just doing my normal training, but I signed up to do a a team competition with the guys at the gym, which is always fun. Um, and we were doing some team training stuff today and we were just like playing around with some skills and, um, it was like alternating EMOM and like minute one, you had to do strict muscle up minute two was a handstand obstacle course. And then minute three was, um, dumbbell squat snatches. And I mean, I, I don't know what I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head what the heaviest I've ever done is like I can't remember um and probably 15 um, in a workout 15 kilos well squat snatch you don't have to go hard yeah I feel like like dumbbell snatch I know I've dumbbell snatched like a regular dumbbell snatch I've done like 25 kilos or whatever but the squat snatch is so much different with a dumbbell or a single arm you know you've got a lot more balance and coordination so I don't actually I don't even I don't even know if I'd done more than 20 kilos or something um, every year I get nervous that it's going to come up in the open I mean I'd love that I feel like so many people would get buried but <laughs> after that. today yeah so in and I just round one I think I did 20 kilos just for four reps so left right left right which is and the 50 round, pounds yeah 50 pounds and then round two I did 22 and a half kilos same thing left right left right um, and then round three, I did the 30 kilo dumbbell. Yeah, you did, baby. <laughs> um, how many pounds is that? 70 pounds. So 70 pounds. That's, what yeah. they, that's the weight that they all did at the games. But the team's athletes didn't have to squat snatch it. But even some of the girls, Rian, at the game struggled with it in that sprint workout. Mind you, mm. they had to do twenty high sprint 20 high wall balls six dumbbell snatches and then right and it was a full-on sprint mm. but how good knowing that you can com- comfortably drop underneath that yeah you would have well, crushed that event the first the first attempt 
I did the left and then the right, the sorry, the right arm and then the left arm was like, oh no, and I was like, oh that's weird. I'll leave it. I'll try it next time. And then the next minute came around again, and I just did the four reps. Yeah. So four. I dumbbells. always find the left side is more difficult than my right. Yeah, for sure. When I do the squat snatches. Yeah. yeah. So mine was more like my arm. Uh, my I just didn't have that like really aggressive lockout in my arm it kind of my elbow bent a little bit but it wasn't anything I was worried about I was just like oh got to press up a little bit harder on that side um but yeah I did the four reps no problems I was shook I was like go me but I love recap for our listeners what you said to me about how you thought about it logically Mm. because I sympathize with this as well because sometimes I tell myself like I've already talked to myself out of something before I do it Mm. but then when I think about the facts I'm like you can do this bish like Mm. you should be going there confidently um so like what did you kind of tell yourself to make yourself do it well my max snatch is 81 kilos so half of that if I split it across my arms individually is 40 something 40 and a half kilos so this is 10 kilos lighter than half of what my max snatch is. I was like, and then I, I just, on the first one, I just kind of deadlifted it up because I was like, oh, what is this? I don't even know what this feels like. So mm. I deadlifted it up and then I was like, oh, I, like I can do that. And, I mean, having good technique from snatching and keeping the dumbbell close sorry, to my body and just good timing. I like, I knew that I was going to be able to do it. So, I mean, I wouldn't have approached a 45 kilo dumbbell the same. Do you know what I mean? I probably, yeah. <laughs> there'd be a lot more hesitation next week. Don't yeah. worry, Ryan, you got it. Yeah. <laughs> Me on the sideline. Come on, you could do it. Go, go, go. <laughs> Meanwhile, my arm just fucking pops out <laughs> and your shoulder. Um, But I think that's a really good point because I so often see people at the gym when I'm coaching or whatnot who are just staying in their lanes Mm. and not, you know, trying the skill or the progression that's above them because they're comfortable, you know, with their ab mat handstand push-ups. And I'm like, Mm. you've been doing this for long enough now that you can get rid of the ab mat. Yeah, just try. Yeah. Um, or even a lot of our members lately, when I started coaching the classes, they were really nervous about kicking up to the wall in a handstand, which I really enjoy meeting people like that because you take those certain skills for granted. Like I don't mm. ever remember being fearful of like kicking up into a handstand, but some people are and that's okay. Mm. But when you're like, no, let's do it. Let's do it. You're never going to be able to do it unless you try it. And Correct. so maybe trying that progression that's a little bit above where you're at mm. loose link but I wanted to talk to you about my latest obsession on social media yeah and I feel like I need to put this out into the open because maybe it's a bit creepy but there's this page on social media called LA Gold Gymnastics and it's these kids like maybe average age is like four <laughs> but they are seriously insane little gymnasts Mm. and I started following them because actually some of the drills that Chelsea gives me to do it'll pop up in my programming and I opened it up and it was literally a three-year-old doing something and I was like are you kidding (laughs) but 
I'm going to post it on the Points of Performance podcast Instagram page because everyone needs to follow these kids. Mm. I have found it so helpful for my own gymnastics, watching how they do things and they do things meticulously. Mm. Like they're doing all of these drills to work on, you know how we do like hip hop drills or something. They're literally just jumping into the muscle up 500 times before they're allowed to jump onto the next thing. Mm. And you should see them move. They are incredible. Well, that's... Like even a couple of the ones that I've sent you, like aren't they unreal? They look like little robots. Mm. That's half of gymnastics is body awareness and position, right? And then over time you develop strength, coordination, speed, power, all of that stuff. But learning the fundamental body position and awareness is like key to being able to be like efficient at any kind of gymnastics the the everything that they're doing is like the stuff that you and I or every, you know everybody else like that does crossfit wants to do that kind of stuff they should like they should be doing that once a week you know just like mm. body positions yeah jump up into that bar muscle up or you know jump up into an, a perfect hollow and then come back down jump up into a perfect hollow and come back down and then go from a hollow to a superman come back down you know, practice that, yeah. del- it's deliberate, it's intentional practice. And then when you go to jump up, you're not going, oh, what am I doing? You're going, hello, Superman, up, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And again, we've had this conversation this week about how like everything feeds into each other, especially with gymnastics, and it's even transferable to weightlifting. But the better I get, people are like, oh, how are you getting good at this? I'm like, because I've been working on this other thing, and it's all feeding into one another. Like you say, getting into that hollow position like I still do hollow rocks and hollow holds every fucking week and it's only to my benefit yeah doing that kind of stuff and I know we always harp on about like going back to basics but the more I'm progressing it's because I'm just working on the basics I know and I basic bitch I've we've said the same thing you're like I feel like all my gymnastics is translating to everything else, like blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, yeah, I've, my one of my friends, Ali, she's uh, she's in the circus and um, she's like a, a level 10 gymnast. Insane, the most insane thing you've ever seen in your entire life. But she has a little like gymnastics program, a shout out to Ali. And um, she just gives me like five days. It's not a lot of work, but it's like skills and drills and, you know, positional awareness, core strength, shoulder strength, hip flexor strength, all of those things that are going to benefit all of my gymnastics. And I do that every day, you know, and, but everybody's like, you what? And I'm like, yeah, I do that every day because it doesn't take too long. And most of the time I'll either do it at the end of my session or do it at the start of my session and you fit it in. And then I feel like it sets me up for everything else that I do anyway, because it's that it's it's that little bit of like, I don't know, just more connection with my body, you know? So I think everybody could benefit from something as simple as, you know, doing 10 to 15 minutes of that basic stuff, you know, regularly. Without getting too distracted. Yeah. <laughs> Is that why you think that gymnasts are so good at weightlifting when they come into the sport because yeah they've got body awareness and they know how to generate power and force they know where their body is in space and time and they're coordinated yeah that makes so much sense Hmm. and so the and that's why the better we get at gymnastics 
Like I honestly feel like the better I get at weightlifting because I'm like, well, maybe that's it, knowing where your body is in space and whatnot. It is, 100%. Like the one of the biggest things that has benefited my CrossFit and my everything has literally been the fact that I went back because I wanted to be more efficient at gymnastics and I created that positional awareness. I know how to pop my hips. I know how to extend my hips. Like those two things translate directly from weightlifting to CrossFit. You know, popping your hips to get up at high over in a bar muscle up is the same as getting extension at the top of your snatch or at the top of your clean and jerk. Mm. Those things link completely together. So if you can do that in one, you can do it in the other. Yeah. Well, here's hoping. Yeah. Um, Like I said, got distracted. Today we have a very special guest who we both Mm. admire a lot on the podcast and we're so thrilled that she joined us for a chat Mia Hesketh, a.k.a. our weightlifting girl crush, who is absolutely crushing the athlete life, Mm. um, but also crushing mum life now with her daughter Elsa. So I first met Mia and her husband Phil back in 2020, and you've probably heard us on this podcast talking about the prepared program, which I do. That's actually their program. So I've been on um, their programming ever since, and I'm massive fans of the way both fear – Phil and Mia, which is their couple name, obviously. That's their couple Fia. name. You just did it. You gave it to them. <laughs> but I not only admire the way that they navigate family life, but they also just train really smart and they've helped me a lot in my journey in being a smarter athlete, I think. Um, and so I think there's a lot that we can learn from Mia, not only from her journey now becoming a mom and an athlete, but also how she almost fell into life as a professional athlete. Before we get to our chat with Mia, a shout out to Born Primitive for their ongoing support of the POP podcast. We're so excited to partner with the brand, especially to give you guys regular discount on all their training gear. When you're shopping, make sure you head to the link on our Points of Performance podcast Instagram page. You can find it in our bio. But even better, this month, we've got a voucher to give away 250 bucks to one of our lucky listeners. To enter, be following both the Pop and Born Primitive Instagram pages, find the giveaway post, and be sure to like and tag a mate to go into the draw to win. We'll announce the winner on Instagram on September 9. You can enter as many times as you'd like. Good luck. Well, Mia, welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you. Thank Rich you. And I often joke that we've got a global podcast because she's in Australia, I'm in America, and now we have a guest in Europe. That's cool. Uh, there's so many things I want to talk about in terms of juggling motherhood, training, everything, but CrossFit has taken you around the world and now you're back in Sweden where it all began. I yeah, I can't believe five sisters growing up in Sweden with five <laughs> sisters. Tell me about your childhood. Uh, I mean, it was, it was great. It was hectic. And, um, but now like looking back, I think you appreciate it even more now. I mean, we moved to a uh, like horse farm when I was five uh, and we lived there for nine years. So we had like full of dogs and cats and horses and, uh, you know, everything. Uh, and I think what's really like shaped us to the like people, persons we are today is uh, just learning to take responsibility because, I mean, we had horses and dogs and everything, but we didn't get anything served. Like it was not like our parents went out to the stables to take care of the horses, like 
We had to go out to the stables in the morning before going to school to feed the horses, take the horses out. After school, we could never go to like after school activities or friends because we had to come home and take care of our horses. Uh, so we had to like really learn the hard way early. Like if you want this, you have to also take responsibility. Uh, so I think like looking back now, I feel like that's what's really shaped both, like me and my sisters. I guess when you were growing up then, did you play much sport or like you said, no time? I never played a team sport. That blows my mind because looking at you now and your progress, you think she must have had, you know, weightlifting when she was three years old or gymnastics since she was seven. But what was your upbringing like then? How did you get into sport? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, so it was just horses until uh, age of 40 because then my parents got to divorce. So we had to sell off the horses and uh, we moved like into the city. Uh, and then I didn't really do anything for a while. And then... I started to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu when I was like 80. Uh, so then I did that for about four years. I was like maybe 19 because then I was 23 by the time I tried CrossFit the first time. And that was literally just because I wanted to get better and fitter at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So I, then someone was like, yeah, but then you have to try CrossFit. It's really good. You get strong, you're fit and this and this. So like come to classes. So then I started to do classes, but then slowly that just took over like, I just enjoy the CrossFit part so much more. But wait, let's go back. You totally just brushed over that Brazilian jiu-jitsu. You were pretty good. <laughs> I was okay. Where did that take you? Did you compete in Brazilian jiu-jitsu or was that just something that you did and then you got into CrossFit? Uh, no, I mean, I competed a little bit. Actually, what I started with was grappling, which is like the non gi part of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You don't have like the uniform. You just have like shorts and a sports bra or something. Uh, so it's a little bit different with like what you can grab and how you can like submit and stuff. But other from that, it's the same sport, but different. So I actually started with that. And when I started competing, it was no girls competing in Sweden. So I had to compete against the boys. I showed up for my first competition and and the judges are calling me over like, can you come here? It's like, yeah, what's up? Like, so it's no girls signed up. Uh, do you still want to compete? Like you can compete in the same weight class for the boys. I was like, okay, why not? In your sports bra and shorts. <laughs> just like, yeah. yeah. All the boys were probably like, what? <laughs> Who is she? <laughs> uh, so, I mean, that's how we started. And then it was just uh, more girls competing in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And actually I went uh, to Brazil to train. Uh, for a month and there they do based uh, mostly Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu so that's why kind of I swapped over to that to be able to train in Brazil as well and like get the most out of it uh, I mean then I did like a Scandinavian championships and European championships and but then pretty fast like I swapped over to CrossFit so I didn't compete in for that long but I mean I was good when I was competing and like a funny and interesting story is um, I stopped Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for like a year maybe and just did CrossFit and then my old coach was like oh do you not want to join for the European Championship like it would be fun I was like okay let's do that so I did maybe two three training sessions just to get the rhythm back a bit and then I actually went to win the European Championship in my weight class because like during this time I've been training CrossFit and I uh, gained weight so I was a weight class heavier than before but I was also so much stronger. Like I gained weight because I added muscles and I found the girls in my weight class, they were maybe not like super fit. So I could move much faster and like stronger. 
Uh, so I felt like I remember finding that super interesting. <laughs> so what made you make that transition then from Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to CrossFit? Um, I remember thinking that, I mean, for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you need a training partner. It's really hard to get good training without a training partner. And I think I just found with CrossFit that I didn't need to rely on anyone else to get my training done. I could literally go to the gym. I mean, I had a full-time job, so like I had to go in the morning or the evening. And uh, with CrossFit, I could just go whenever I wanted and do whatever I wanted. Like I didn't have to rely on anyone else or they being healthy or in a good mood or, you know. Uh, It was just easier to do like the level I wanted to train without having to rely on someone else. Uh, But then it's just like how CrossFit is. It's so much like I get driven by having to improve stuff and like it's so much in CrossFit you can improve like all the time so I think I found that as well super interesting and that was like motivating me to keep I want to be good at this and then good at this and then good at this. Did things come easily to you in CrossFit? (laughs) Uh, I mean the weightlifting part came very naturally for me. Uh, I was just like strong I didn't have like great technique in the beginning and I look back at my videos I was like posting stuff on my Facebook early and it looks crap (laughs) I mean I was just strong and then I can I think I'm pretty coachable so I could adapt and like learn technique pretty fast in weightlifting Uh, gymnastics was a different story like uh, getting muscle ups especially was so so hard for me and I remember I got my first muscle up and then not another one for a year. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then after that, that was kind of when something changed and I like learned proper. So I guess the first one was just lucky and then I couldn't do it again. <laughs> uh, and then I learned. Uh, so, but I mean, it, th- that took very, very long time. I remember thinking when I was like practicing the muscle ups, like if I can just wake up and do muscle up at any point, that's, I'm done. Yeah. I'm so, like, that was the level. I was like, if I just can do one muscle up any day, that's like, I'm done across. Oh, we talked, we talked that about that on our episode last week. It's like when you set a goal and you don't even celebrate that goal, it's like the next thing that's so bad about CrossFit, you know, you like one thing and then things that we were doing months ago, you're like, oh, remember when I thought that that was a big achievement? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, there wasn't a long transition though between you starting CrossFit and then competing on a team at the CrossFit Games. So the fact that it took you a year to do a muscle up blows my mind because was it 2015 that you competed for the first time at the Games? Yeah. Yeah. How did that come about? Uh, so I did a competition in Sweden, like a team competition down south in Sweden. I was like middle of Sweden. So I was down south of Sweden, which was kind of the first bigger ish competition I did. Um, and on my way back in the car from that competition, I got a message from a girl that I've just been following on Instagram and she's like, Hey, good job this weekend. Uh, would you like to move to Malmö and join us for a team for the CrossFit Games next year? And I was like, what? Like, who's in this team? And she just said like the people that was going to be in it and all these are people I'm just stalking on Instagram. Right. And I was like, uh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so this was like, I guess, October 2014. And if I look back at my videos then, I was doing like two or three muscle up at a time and like stoked about it. So like that was my gymnastic level. It was not good. So I was shocked by this. 
but then I was like, well, this is an opportunity. I can never, like, I can't miss out on it. So I managed to get, like, time off my work. Uh, and I moved down to Malmö and slept on her couch, <laughs> like, the whole the whole spring. Because obviously you need to be there. And they, like, gave me a, a coaching job at their gym, like CrossFit Fabriken. So I could, like, earn some money still. <laughs> From there, I went to regionals. That was, like, of course, my first really big competition and I was so so nervous uh, it was this workout where I had to do each team member had like 30 seconds to do one snatch and it like rotated through and then the and total kilos was your score and then it was like two minutes transition and then a 100 foot handstand walk relay and uh, I was supposed to snatch 70 kilos uh, and I hurt my shoulder a little bit before that but I was like no it's fine I can do it I go in and I miss my all my snatches. So I I got the team zero kilos. And I just fall apart. I'm just crying on the floor, like crying my tears so bad. And she's like, get yourself together. You have to do the handstand walk now. And I was like, okay. <laughs> that was just awful. Like, I mean, in the end, we managed to qualify anyway. But that night, I was with my sister and my dad, and it was my birthday, and I was just so sad. Like, I went on the whole evening, like, I cannot believe I missed that snatch. I cannot believe I missed that snatch. But there was also, like, such an important lesson. Like, I was, of course, I didn't have any experience. So I was like, I can snatch 70 kilos. Of course I can. I've done it in the gym 20 times. Like, but you learn, like, I would not go close to my max to open a, a snatch, like, now, today. Yeah. I would be like, okay, I can snatch 100 kilos in training, but maybe I try 80 because it's good enough. Yeah. <laughs> like, you don't do your max. But, of course, when you're new in CrossFit, you're like, I'm going to show them what I can do. Oh, so often coaching, you know? I have to tell people, you know, they'll see a, a 60-kilo snatch on the board and they're like, I can do that in the workout. I'm like, bro, you've only done it once in your life. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. Uh, then the next time that you competed as a team, you actually qualified as an individual that year. Was it 2019? Yeah. Why did you make that decision to go on a team as opposed to competing as an individual? Um, because I've already committed. Uh, we had already decided like earlier that we wanted to go team. Uh, and I mean, that was also the year like when everything changed. So it was a bit like, Looking at regionals, like the year before 2018, I was not that close. I think I was like ninth or something. I was like, uh, Europe is really tough. Mm. Like I was not that close to qualify. Like, okay, let's do a team. Like that'd be fun. And then they did all these changes, right, with sanctionals and stuff. Uh, so then I went to Cape Town to compete in January and then qualify from there because I came second to Catherine. Yeah. And then Catherine qualified from the Open. But, I mean... I like to like stand by my word. So I said I was committed to the team. Then I was committed to the team. Like I didn't want to ditch them because then what were they going to do? <laughs> but I mean, it was a gamble because we still had to qualify, right? And we were not going to do a competition until May. Ah, okay. And did, so did, how did it work back then? Did you have to say, no, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to take that invite and then go and compete as a team? It was very confusing at that time. Yeah, I mean, I actually can't remember. I think I had like a deadline when I had to decline it, which was before our competition. Oh, okay. Uh, because we were competing so late in the year, like we were not until like end of like 20th of May or something, I think we did the lowland uh, sanctional. Uh, and of course, uh, you get like a deadline to accept your invite because they want to send it to the next one. Uh, 
so I had to, I think I had to decline that before we were competing. Uh, but it turned out well anyway. Yeah. So. <laughs> and that was a team with your now husband, Phil. Let, let's go back a step. You guys met in Dubai, wasn't it? Correct. Yeah. How did that happen that you moved to Dubai, met your husband? Was that because of CrossFit and competing in CrossFit? Yeah, it was. Uh, so, I mean, like background story in 2015, I went to a training camp in Iceland and met Carmen for the first time, Carmen Bosmans. Uh, and she was moving to Dubai right after that training camp, like a month later. So she was telling us about it, how she was moving. Uh, and then maybe two months after that, I just get an Instagram message from someone like, oh, hey, I'm part of the royal family. I'll offer you a job at a gym, be our head coach and stuff. And you get this and this and this. And I was like, what is, is this? Is this spam? <laughs> and exactly. Like it comes into your question. I'm like, huh. But then because like Carmen just said she moved into the buy and stuff, I was still a bit curious, right? So I'm replying anyway. And I was like, okay like asking some question and this person is like oh we can have a, a skype call if you want and now in like afterwards i know but i didn't know by then so i click on her profile and i was like this person doesn't even have an instagram like picture like it's gonna be a creep showing me his dick or something like i do not want to have a... i was like we can do a phone call uh but like now knowing because she was part of the royal family and girls in the bike can't show their faces on social media so that's why it was no profile picture <laughs> uh, so we have a phone call and we're chatting and uh, I mean I, she brought me then to Dubai uh, to like meet me and uh, then I met Carmen and she worked at another gym called Inner Fight which Phil worked as as well ah. uh, and then this gym that I got offered a job was just gonna get started up and everything got very delayed and again like now knowing Dubai I would not be worried but like not knowing Dubai it felt so unsure like I'm gonna move somewhere and the gym doesn't even exist and what's gonna happen uh, and then after visiting Innerfight uh, the owner there also offered me a job is that if things doesn't work out at the other gym we will not have you here um, so then after like thinking about it a lot then I decided to just take the job at Innerfight instead and that's where I'm at, Phil. Oh, love. Is it a good story? You know, you're like working out and you showed him this. Uh, I was just actually, I was going to say, and you showed him your snatch and then that I realised that could be taken in the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was just like very intense start of a relationship because obviously we train together like two to three times a day and then we work together. Uh, and then, so, I mean, we saw each other every day. Uh, I think like we looked back later and because when we travel, we would travel together because we went to competitions. Uh, so I think like in two years, we've not been apart one day. Like it's, that's very intense, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> like from first meeting, like not even when you start dating. Uh, so, I mean, it was just like intense and we moved together quite quickly because it's super expensive to have an apartment in Dubai. So it didn't make any sense to have two places. One is basically empty. So it was just, we were like, oh, we gamble, we see that we work out, we work out, and it worked out. Now he's in Sweden. <laughs> and the rest is history. Flash forward yeah. to 2020 is where I met you and Phil uh, at the, on the Gold Coast when you were both competing yes. as individuals. Now that year you also qualified as an individual, but you didn't take the invite yeah. because you had a baby. Was that always part of the plan or tell us how that came about? 
Uh, I mean, Phil and I got married in the year before 2019 in September. And then after that, we were kind of like, okay, after that, we want to try to for babies and stuff. Uh, but then things changed quite quickly. And after we got married, Phil moved back to Sweden in uh, October. Uh, and I stayed in Dubai until New Year. Uh, so, I mean, it was not so easy to try to make babies when we're not in the same country. Uh, so, I mean, and then that year as well, the open was then really early. So I remember that was really a struggle for me because I have kind of like, okay, we did the games with the team. And then I was like, I'm done. I'm going to get married, have babies. Good. And then I was like, oh, I'm not going to have babies because my husband is not here. <laughs> so, I mean, that open was like tough for me mentally to get back into like wanting to compete because I kind of like checked out. Uh, but then I got back into it like we had such a good atmosphere at Alioth where we worked then and like a lot of people like competitive people to train with um, and then I was like oh let's go to Cape Town that that looks no let's go to Australia that looks cool like because um, we've been before on holiday to met Cara and I was like oh it'd be super fun to go again and but then like still remember I said there like oh just here to have fun like we just moved to Sweden it's a lot going on like I'm not expecting anything. Uh, and then, yeah, I don't know, again, like the first day was again hard for me, I remember, to get into this, like, wanting to compete. Like, I wanted to compete, but you know, like, if you want to do really well, you had to dig really deep, like, go to that dark place. And the first day was quite hard for me, but then, like, the further in competition we got, the more I got into it. And that competition was ridiculous, um, though. Do you remember? There were, like, 15 events. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was hectic. It was so hectic. But I think because I was there with like a chill attitude, it didn't affect me that much. I think it's worse if you're there like, this is it. It's like, this is where I'm going to qualify for the games and this is like so important for me. Then you get more stressed by it because things was not run super well either. Um, but I mean, and then qualify. And I remember we sat at a dinner after and we were like, so what are we doing now? Like I had just moved back to Sweden to fill them. We just got our house like, what are we doing now? Like, are we trying for babies? Are we going to the CrossFit Games? <laughs> um, and uh, we kind of talked about it and decided, like, oh, let's just see what happens. Like, we're not going to not try. And if it happens, it happens. And if not, then, like, I keep training and go to the CrossFit Games. But because of then just when we were in Australia, that's when COVID just started as well. Uh, yeah. Uh, like, hearing on the radio, like, oh, toilet rolls are finished in the stores and people are fighting over toilet paper we're like what is going on <laughs> uh so because things felt super uncertain as well i think we were not just like completely sure what to do and then yeah literally like uh, a month later or something i was pregnant so <laughs> was that a hard decision for you to give up competing to have a baby or have you always been like that's what i want i mean it was not super easy but it was also not like that hard, you know, it was, I, we, we knew we wanted to start a family. Uh, and like, it was something that we've been wanting and talking about for a long time. Like, but we wanted to do it like in the right, like we wanted to have a, we're going to get married and then we wanted to have a house and then we wanted to have babies. And now we have that. So I felt like in the end, like CrossFit is just sport. It is, I love it. Like I do it hours and hours every day for years. So of course, like I love it and I love to compete. But in the end, it's, it's not like defining me or like who I am. Um, so I think like for me, it was just more important to like 
take this opportunity to have a family. And I mean, I could try to go to the CrossFit Games again. Was it hard while you were pregnant training, given that you'd been so athletic for most of your adult life, and then to have these changes in your body that kind of limited what you could do physically? It went like in waves, I would say, uh, because I got really, I got big issues with my um, uh, sciatic nerve early in the pregnancy. So like from like week 10 to 33, <clears throat> I couldn't do squats at all. Uh, so, I mean, that was, that was tough because it just like hold me back in so many things. And some days I could barely like take our dog on a walk. So that was frustrating to just like not even be able to do daily tasks. Um, but sometimes I was like super chill and I was like, it's so much I can do still. And I feel good and I'm growing a human. And then some days I would just be on my phone, looking back at old videos, sending my sisters like, look what I used to be able to do. And they were like, yeah. <laughs> Was it helpful having your husband, who is your coach, kind of guide you through it? There's not a lot of information out there, so you're kind of paving the way for yourself. Did you know what to do or what was helpful uh, um, during your pregnancy? Uh, and we would just went so much by feel, like, because also it changed every day. Someday I could do this, it felt great, and the next day it's like, nope, can't do this today. Uh, so we just tried to go like a lot by feel and just kind of create my training session as we were there in the gym, like, okay, how does it feel today? And the further in the pregnancy we got, we just started to like take things away. And I kind of said to myself, if I need to think, should I do this? Then it's probably no. Like if it's a question, if I had to like, hmm, is this okay to do? Then just, it's no point. Uh, so I mean, like some people will say, oh, you, she lifted so heavy and she did so much late in the pregnancy. Well, I can feel like I pulled back quite early. But of course, like I think I do a 70 kilo squat and people like that's so heavy. Okay, but that's less than 50%. That's like 40% of my max. So for me, it's not that heavy. But of course, it's for some people looking like, why is she doing that heavy weights when she's pregnant? Or why is she doing skipping and stuff? You know, but you just try to really feel like, how is my body reacting? If I felt anything after the training session, like my pelvic floor or something, then I just knew I take this out. I'm not doing it again. And uh, but of course, it helped having Phil because he he knows a lot, and it helps just having someone that can create a training session for you. I can say I can do this, 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 and then he put a session together. So it takes some of the like creativity and pressure away from me. Yeah, was it the same when you were coming back after having Elsa? Yeah. I was going to say, were there any struggles that you had in terms of the speed of the postpartum recovery or, um, yeah, frustrations after birth? Uh, not really. I feel like I was very calm in, in like, my recovery and getting back and just try to appreciate movement rather than, like, putting pressure on uh, what movement. Um, but then I think, like, looking back, Maybe some things went, like, I went a little bit fast, like, uh, because I had a shoulder injury for quite a long time, and then during the pregnancy, I didn't do anything with my shoulder to heal it, but then when I started to get back again, it's hard, like, when I feel I can do movement, it's hard to understand, I can do chest bars again, that's great, but maybe I should not do 50 in my session, like, maybe I need to start with 20, and the next time I can do 30, so then, like, my shoulder really flared up again. So I feel like maybe I just increased my gymnastic volume too fast. 
not starting doing it, just like the volume of it. Mm. I guess like when you've been off it for so long, you haven't done chest bars for a year and then like, oh, I can do them now. And then like, it feels great. So you just like, you get back into it so fast and then you don't think about the, the volume because the muscle memory is amazing. Like it comes back so fast, but then it's more like uh, tendons and ligaments and stuff. And because of the breastfeeding, it's super sensitive. Um, so if I look back and like for my next time, I'm trying to come back for a pregnancy. If that happens, that will be a little bit more sensible about. Are you still breastfeeding through your training? No, no. We, I did one year. And that obviously coincides with you kind of making your postpartum comeback to an individual competition this year. How did that feel or how did that decision mentally click for you to be like, okay, I'm a mum, but I'm also going to be a competitive athlete this year? Um, I think just like I did last year in uh, August, I did like a team competition with my sister to try to like test out the turf, like do I want to compete or not? And I just, I loved it again. Uh, so then I did another, then I did my first individual competition again in Sweden in December after one year. Uh, and again, like I felt like it was so much like still holding me back because that was right in the process of stopping breastfeeding. And we got a child that wouldn't sleep for a year. So like I was so sleep deprived and it was really hard for me to get that last gear in a workout. I felt like I was like stuck on third or fourth gear the whole time. I couldn't push through. Um, and then I did Miami, Budapalooza in January. And like just getting that one month of not breastfeeding was a huge game changer. Like I felt like a completely different athlete in January then. Um so like just kind of like building up on the competition and the level of competition to see like, do I want to do this? Can we do this? Uh, and then Phil and I had to kind of take a decision because we realized we can't both try to compete. Uh, it's, it's not working. Like having Elsa at home and she is like quite demanding because she's super active. Uh, so Phil kind of then made a decision like, oh, I mean, we made it together, had a conversation that he is stepping back this year. Uh, because like I was pregnant for a long time and then like breastfeeding for a long time. So like, it felt like now it's my turn to like try to compete. Uh, so he stepped back. So he's been like just purely coaching me and like helping to like, so I can get my training sessions done as good as possible during the spring now. Uh, and it's been, I mean, it's been really good. Of course it's challenging, <laughs> but it was also like, it was really fun really good like i'm super happy with semifinals this year and like the the fire to like get back next year is it's really there i was gonna say it must be hard being married to another competitive athlete especially when you have children do you think it's important to make that decision and to have that constant conversation being like what are we doing here who's in terms of do one of you need to take the preference at each time or is that difficult and difficult conversations to have <clears throat> I mean, we just noticed because when we before we had it, then it was like, okay, we're gonna go and train. Oh, uh, now the babies woke up like twenty minutes through the session. Uh, I I take her. Okay, cool. Next day, oh, the baby woke up forty five minutes into the session, and no one is like, it's like, oh, but I took her yesterday. Today you take her, and like you know, it just gets like I missed out on training yesterday and the day before that. You have to miss out on training, and it just gets very infected. So we're like, okay, this is not working. Like. We can't just blame each other. It's like, who's going to take the baby because you don't want to miss out on your training. Uh, and then like, it also turns out you feel bad because then someone goes like, oh shit, now she missed on training for two days. And uh, you know, it's it's just a stress for everybody. So I think it's super important like to just have 
like it doesn't have to be the one is not competing but then find something that works for you like made make a schedule or like what days are your training the highest focus and what days can I focus more and and then of course some days she would just sleep through the whole session or be happy so we could both train but it's just so uncertain like you don't know I love watching Elsa on Instagram she has such attitude she's like a little diva I know (laughs) what do you love about being a mum uh I mean it's just amazing watch her every day because she learns something new every day. Like she just wake up and all of a sudden she can do something new or she can say something new. And I'm like, did you learn this while you were sleeping? Uh, and you realize how much they observe you. Like she do things that we absolutely never taught her. Like the other day our dog was on the porch and she just woke up and she sits next to him and she takes his lead in the little clip. She brings his collar to it and try to like clip the on his collar. I was like, we never showed her. We're like, we just do that like, super fast without even thinking about it when they take them for a walk but they just observe everything so it's like it's so fascinating uh and then like I mean of course she's a little mini of me and Phil it's like really fun too (laughs) speaking of having influence on people um you've been a coach before do you still coach or take a coaching role within prepared or is that kind of Phil's domain no I would say that's like fills what he do like he do all the programming i do any, i don't do any of the programming i'm more just like a, a feedback <laughs> because i do all of it so like i can i can give a lot of feedback or say like i think we should do a bit more of this or a bit more of that uh but i mean he does all the programming and uh, obviously this uh, like spring he's been like a very good coach for everybody because he had not been competing himself he's been like following the competition and be able to coach a lot more um, then when we're in the gym, like the gym we train at, we have a huge group, like maybe 25 people doing prepared, like in the open gym. So of course, then like maybe I feel a bit more responsible to like help people and give them like cues and stuff. But it's not like, I, I don't do any like set coaching. Do you ever struggle having your husband as a coach? Uh, sometimes. I mean, because you bring it, it's, you bring everything right like if you are already a bit annoyed for some reason and then the training was not what you wanted or expected and then you know it's not separate like I guess if you have you have a husband and then you have someone else as a coach then your feelings for the training goes to that person and your private feelings go to this but now it's just (laughs) all in one all in one but I mean this also has its benefits because he sees me all the time every day so it's easy for him to see like okay today you didn't sleep last night because Elsa kept you up. I think you should just take this away from today's piece. Like I don't have to actively text my coach and say, hey, I had a bad night. What should I do? Like Phil is right there. He can just see who oh, he sees me train and said, oh, it doesn't look like you really do this that well. Maybe we should change it to this. So of course it's, it's pros and cons, but I mean, mostly pros, I would say. I wouldn't want to change it. Is it hard then for you guys to also take a step back like on a recovery day or something and do something different when your your life, your work, your training, it's all kind of meshed in one? How do you guys tap out? Uh, I don't think so anymore. I think moving to Sweden was really good for us and especially Phil because I feel like when we were in Dubai, he was more like living and breathing CrossFit. Like everything was evolving around making it to the CrossFit Games. Uh, and I feel since we moved to Sweden and then especially since Elsa came, it's just, of course, like we still love CrossFit, don't get me wrong, but it's also easy to just do something different or 
like Phyllis chill now is like yeah oh, maybe he doesn't train for three days if something shows up like something else to do he can maybe play paddle or frisbee golf or you know something else uh so I would say it's, it was easier since we left Dubai I think it was so competitive there that then it was just like crossfit 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 uh but I think since Elsa came it's 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 not that hard actually What's the plan in moving forward? Is this next year your year as well and Phil will continue to take that coaching role? Yeah, I mean, we had a conversation like before, you know, we had Elsa. We were like, oh, I do one year and then we probably have a second child. But then Elsa came and she's like super demanding and active. We were like, we don't want another child just yet. Uh, and also because I had a quite tough year with the breastfeeding and my shoulder, like I couldn't do any anti-inflammatory because of the breastfeeding or, I mean, I didn't want to. Uh, so I had like, I couldn't do basically any gymnastic for so long time. So Phil was kind of, Hey, you know, we don't need to like have a child next year again. Like if you, this doesn't have to be all or nothing this year, if this year doesn't go all the way, we can do another year. Uh, so that was like such a big relief to feel like it was not all pressure on this year that it didn't turn out the way I wanted to. Like I basically had proper training from uh, December last year. So that's just a few months of proper training uh, compared to having like a full year. Um, so, I mean, I definitely want to know what I want to do next year. Like I want to try to go individual and like try to make it to the CrossFit Games. I don't think Phil is going to try to make it to the CrossFit Games. Like, he is very happy to be a coach as well, like because we have a, a, quite a few like good people that want to make that push and go to semifinals, uh, and I think he's really enjoying the coaching part of it. Uh, he did a, a competition here in Sweden like last year in June, and then he didn't do anything until this weekend. We just did the competition again, so he says this is just what he want to do now. He do one competition a year in the summer, and he's happy. <laughs> So I don't know. I don't know what Phil's going to do just yet, but I know what I want to do. Like next year, I'm not, even this year when I came to semifinal, like had an interview, they were like, oh, how does it feel to be here? And I was like, oh, I'm just here to like have fun and like try it out and like the big stage again. Uh, but I also don't want people just to think like that's always my mentality. But I think I'm quite like good at being realistic. And I knew this was not, I was not the best I could be. Uh, so of course I go and do my best, but I also didn't expect myself to qualify this year. But next year, like I want to do that. I'm not there to have fun then. Even though you were enjoying the experience, you still did really well at semi semifinals. What was it like to be just on the cusp of making the last chance qualifier, um, which I think was one or two positions out? Does that ignite the fire for next year, knowing that you do have all that potential? I mean, just. The last chance qualifier, not necessarily just that part. I mean, it was just three points out. Uh, but even if I would have made it, because they did the points wrong. So actually, when we left the arena, I had made last chance qualifier. And then they changed the leaderboard in the evening because they have missed out on some scores. So then I was three points out. But even leaving the arena, I said to Phil, we can talk about this later, but I'm not sure I want to do it. Uh, because I'm already not best at online qualifiers like I excel in a live competition uh, and I was clearly lacking some stuff that would not improve in three weeks or whatever it was before last year's qualifier so I felt just like such a huge sacrifice to just then spend all my days in the gym again to like try to be as good as I can for the last year's qualifier when I was clearly not good enough uh, so I was just like I want to then because I had a, a shoulder injury again so I was like I want to fix my shoulder I want to spend time with Elsa. 
I want to like get ready for next year. I don't want to waste any time for another online competition that I'm probably not going to go through. Uh, so when Phil was like, oh, they changed the score, like you didn't make it. I was like, well, then I don't have to make the decision. Then it's, it's already made, like it's fine. Uh, but I was still like super happy with a lot of stuff and see that I even now with so little like pre-season could still challenge the girl in a lot of stuff. Uh, and then we also got really good like feedback on what we need to spend more time on for next year. So it was still, it was such a good experience. What do you think is the difference between your mentality when you're in live competition as opposed to in your gym doing an online competition or even more so, what's your mindset in training when you really need to push what are the things that you say to yourself when you're like deep in the hurt locker in a workout? How do you push yourself to go to that extra gear? Uh, I don't really know, actually. I don't have like one mantra that I just like repeating to myself to get through. Uh, I mean, I find after semifinals that is easier for me to dig deeper because now I have a clear goal. Like next year, I want to make it to the CrossFit Games. So now that is easy, like to have in my mind, like when a workout starts hurting and I want to slow down, I was like, no, this person will not slow down. That was like ahead of me on the leaderboard or this person will not slow down. Like don't slow down now. Um, but I mean, maybe before that, like this year has been a bit harder because I didn't have a super clear goal. I still had all this like, not excuses, but like facts in my head. Like I have not trained as much as these girls had. I've been training for three months. They've been training for a full year after last year. Like I have not done that. I've been training for three months after like two years almost off. Uh, so I think it was like tougher for me. If you can look at the, like the open and the quarterfinals, like I just get better the further in the season we get, uh, because I think it's easier for me to dig deeper when I have a clearer goal. Um, so I don't know. I don't have anything like that I always tell myself. I think I just find it easier in live competition because I have the other people around me, like people to actually raise uh, like a, a higher purpose to push hard. But I mean, it's something I need to work on. So I mean, we set up like a few competition this uh, fall that I'm going to do like online qualifiers just to practice on that, to be able to also do it in qualifiers. Now, I know you have uh, mama duties to get back to, but I will just ask you one last question. Do you have a gym fail? I know I've seen a couple of videos of you in Dubai and I wonder whether your gym fail will be one of these videos, but do you have a, a memory of a gym fail where, you know, something funny happened in the gym or it didn't all go to plan that day uh, that you can remember? Uh, I wanna know what videos you're talking about now because I was like, Phil, what gym fails have I done? I have a dad's podcast and I need to tell him a gym fail. He was like, ah, oh, you don't do that many stupid things in a gym. Do you do more stupid things outside of the gym? I was like, what? No, I'm thinking, is it the video with Street Horner where you fail the, I think it was an open workout and he goes for the, bar, he doesn't know whether to go for the barbell or you. When you oh my God. <laughs> That was like the, the was the base of my shoulder injury that hunted me for two years, right? It was the second to last rep in the open workout, 2019. And uh, I was uh, I was like really wanting the rep. It got a bit behind me and I didn't want to drop it, so I held on to it. And then it dropped down on my shoulder blade and like pushed me down to the floor, right? Oh. 
and street is so uncomfortable. He doesn't know what to do, to run after my bar or to go check me. And he's just like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I feel like that's more so his gym fail. The poor thing, you can see it. He's like your judge and your friend. And he's like, do I help the athlete or do I go after the bar that's just run away? He doesn't know what to do. Uh, but then I remember another thing that was like quite funny. And that was like when I was doing my level one course. So I'm brand new to CrossFit, right? And then we're going to do thrusters. So they asked me to come up and show a thruster with the PVC pipe. And I was like, okay, I can do this. And I get the PVC pipe, squat down, and just run it straight up my nose. And I didn't have any friends there. Like, it was just the people of the level one course. And I'm just trying to hold together so hard. You know how much it hurts and your tears just want to come. And I'm like, I'm okay. I'm okay. They're like, okay, we go again, do a thrust. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go down, bam, up again in my nose. Can you imagine? My tears were just... And it's we, Riz and I always talk about this with the gym fail. It's like you don't know whether to laugh or to cry. In hindsight, we can have a good laugh about it. But at the time, you're just like, someone save me. Someone just remove me out of here right now. Like, <laughs> How good is it when you hear like professional athletes who still have a basic bitch gym fail? I know. Super. I love it. It makes you feel human. <laughs> what else I loved about Mia and made her seem human as well. Mm. How about the story about how she got her first muscle up and then a year later, it took her another year to get her second one. And it made me think about how easy it is to look and put all these athletes on a pedestal and think, oh, but it came so easy to them. It mm. came so easy to them. After chatting to her about that, I'm like, don't discredit the hard work that they're all putting in. Like for most of them, they're not entitled. No. Like they're putting in the hard work that we all have to put in right now. And while we're in the middle of it, it feels like, oh, I'm never going to get anywhere. This is pointless. When you look at someone like Mia, and if you don't follow her on Instagram, you definitely should. Go do it. Watch her do muscle-ups. Mm. It looks like they are effortless and it has, it has never been a problem for her. But then when she told that story, it's like they're human too. Mm -hmm. It's like when you look at coaches or, um, you know, I know I know a lot of the members at Inner Chamber are like, I'll never be able to do that. I'll never be able to do that. It's like I used to be you. Mm. I used to be you. And those things seemed achievable, uh, unachievable. And now the small steps that you take all the time, again, it took me a year to get a muscle up. Do you think she thinks about that year now? No. Nah. No. She just jumps up and does 25 unbroken. <laughs> I know. I'm like, why are you so amazing? She, I, I reckon she was probably like my OG, like maybe I've been, I reckon I've been following Mia for like five years. So I just remember watching her as like a crossfitter and being like, this woman is so fucking strong. She is like an incredible weightlifter an incredible mm. crossfitter. I was like, how in the fuck? And then she went and had a baby and she came back and she's she came still back stronger than me. Than ever. <laughs> she still has the record, I think, um, in Dubai at the Dubai CrossFit Championship of snatching the biggest snatch in for a female in CrossFit competition. It's over 100 kilos. I know. So over 220-something pounds. And – I've watched the video so many times. It was beautiful. Oh. Absolutely beautiful. So amazing. Do you know how much she weighs? Oh, I don't think she'd be more than 70 kilos. No, she's so, so little. little. But yeah. 
and it just goes back to what we were saying before the chat as well about how when you're aware of your body and you move well and you can generate power, mm. like that's she's a brilliant weightlifter and she's learned to be really good at gymnastics. Yeah. It's kind of folded the other way. Um, it's also interesting when she talks about how she evolved as an athlete. I loved her story about how in her first competition she went out and was like, I could snatch 70 kilos, so tried to do it in the middle of the work and then didn't even get a score. How many times as a coach have you seen that when the workout goes on the board and it's a 95-pound snatch or, you know, 43 and a half, and someone's like, oh, I've done that before. Bro, I'm asking you to do it 30 times under the seat. <laughs> You're not going to be able to do that. I mean, it happens I mean, quite- a lot. <laughs> That my favourite is when you're like, you try to tell them, they look at you as if to say, you don't even know what you're talking about. And I'm like, well, cool. I've given you the pencils. You colour in, like whatever. (laughs) And then round two, they look at you as if to say, I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry. I'm fucked up. I'm I'm out. I'm out. And the only reason I know exactly what that look means is because I have been you and I have stood there and I've looked at the coach and gone, oh, no. (laughs) I made a mistake and I'm sorry. Yeah, I think a lot of people, a lot of people, I just try and go, okay, so what's your 1RM? And they're like, oh, that's my 1RM. And I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm, okay, so let's let's make it like 80% of your 1RM. That's what the workout should be. And they're like, but what? And I'm like, or you could just do that and we'll just see what happens. And um, it's, yeah, you do you. (laughs) Oh, but it was also cool to hear about how that's evolved throughout her journey as an athlete and also how she's training smarter. Mm. What I found really interesting and, you know, we're hoping to talk about pre and postpartum training in the future mm. on this podcast and perhaps get people who are, you know, more knowledgeable than us on it. But how she was saying that she feels like she came back too quickly mm. in terms of her volume too quick. And I think that's so interesting because I know you've coached a lot of women who are coming back after having a baby. There's no hard and fast rules, hey? No, it's very dependent on the person. It's dependent on their previous history training. Um, It's dependent on their birth, like what cesarean Mm. versus natural. Um, There are a lot of like, yeah, extenuating circumstances that come into play when it comes to some people's recovery. So I, I think... I feel like a lot of um, social media, especially for mums, has put this kind of really a lot of pressure to be in a certain condition post-baby by a certain time or whatever it might be. And I know female athletes the same. They feel like they should be back in a place, you know, training because someone else was and that was, you know, they posted about how easy it was for them and it's just not that way. And, I mean, training for everybody everybody's journey is different regardless Mm. of baby or not but um particularly post-birth I think you need to just really take into consideration your own circumstances I mean my recommendation is always to work with like a pelvic floor physio post uh birth uh regardless of whether it was a natural or a cesarean and um you need to make sure that there are like certain markers that you reach before coming back to training, you have to remember that giving birth is trauma. It's trauma to your body. Mm. It's like having a car accident and then 
expecting to be, you know, and breaking your leg in two places and expecting to be squatting, you know, six weeks later. Like that's not going to happen, yeah. but that's what childbirth is. And it's often minimized like, oh, you know, you're a woman, you know, like that's just what you do. Like you should be back in the yeah. gym. And that's just not the case. Like you need to let your body heal. You need to let it get back to a, a good position because if you don't, the bad effects of that for the rest yeah, of your cool. life like they're lifelong they will it will affect you forever you know a lot of women will have um like hernias and like it just yeah we're not just talking about peeing yourself when you do double unders no. like way worse <laughs> yeah um you know so there's there's a lot of a lot of things to take into consideration but mm. if you work with a specialist so you work with a pelvic floor physio or specialist you do the rehab, you get your pelvic floor cleared for training. Um, normally it's between six and eight weeks post birth, depending on what birth you had. Um, and once you're all good to go, then you slowly and incrementally like bring yourself back into your training. Even if you feel amazing. I had this conversation with my sister and um, she was like, I feel great. Like I, this was like four weeks. And I was like, have you been cleared? What's your pelvic floor? Like, she's like, I'm fine. Uh, like, I'm not really like, I'm not weighing myself or whatever. And then she was like, I'm going to go for a run. And I was like, don't, don't do yeah. it. And she was like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I feel great. I feel really good. She went for a run, peed herself, running, whatever, didn't realize, couldn't feel it. Pete, it came back. She's like, oh my God. And then she's realized and then continued to ignore it and actually ended up having a prolapse, which is where basically yeah. everything falls out. <laughs> so, you know, there are like, even if your body feels fine, sometimes there are like certain markers that I think you need to listen to. Mm. Like you need to get to a certain point before you can be like, oh, I'm going to listen to my body and I'm going to trust what it's telling yeah. me. You know, while you and I were very intuitive, we can understand and respond to our bodies and what's going on. Even in saying that, there are still things, there are still markers that you should get to before you start to increase volume, increase load, increase movement difficulty. Yeah. It even goes back to like, you know, back when I used to overtrain, I'd be like, I feel fine. And then you start doing things and you're like, oh no, I'm not fine. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so many people, again, how many times have you been to the gym feeling like, I feel awesome, but you know, you did a really tough session yesterday and halfway through your session, you start to feel it. So that's like a, a very small um, example of what pregnancy is like on a whole different scale. Yeah. Um, but I was going back to the social media thing. I definitely think social media for pregnant women, uh, for women in general, is a blessing and a curse. I need to admit something, and this might sound weird to our listeners who have followed along because I'm so like anti having a baby right now. <laughs> but my weird obsession is a podcast about pregnant people. <laughs> and so, you know, our girls at Beyond the Bum mm. podcast. Yeah. I listened to them. I'm fascinated by it. They did this diary the other day about what um, in the first trimester, your mental state. I had no idea. No Mate. idea. Like I'm a 32-year-old woman who just had no idea. It's in the same way that we started this podcast because we feel like no one's talking about, you know, strength and conditioning for women. Mm. No one's talking about what freaking happens to your mind and your body when you have a baby. Um 
So again, like Mia was saying, uh, like I watched her whole pregnancy and thought she was absolutely crushing it. Mm. And then to hear that someday she was in too much pain and couldn't even walk her dog, Mm. I was like, social media is a curse. You can't believe everything that you see on social media. But I think, yeah, if you're smart about it, again, whether you're pregnant or not or whether you're just thinking about training, there are so many assets on social media in terms of coaches putting out really great information, um, mm. tips to get your first bar muscle up or to get your first double under crossover. But then you've got to weed out the people who are putting up things that aren't helpful for you. Yeah. Um, whether that's a case of unfollowing them. I definitely did that when I moved over here um, in terms of even people in my life who just weren't helpful. It's just like, unfollow it doesn't matter like Mm. if it's not helping you you don't need to buy into it well you know I am a big believer in surrounding myself with people that I think are amazing and like that I look up to because what's that old Mm. saying you are the five people you hang out with I'm now just thinking about the five people I hang out with Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm like am I (laughs) well but it's probably yeah, it's it's that it's that you feed off of their energy. So if you're around people that are taking drugs all the time and partying all the time, well, chances are you're probably going to slip into that same kind of lifestyle. Um, yeah. So you know, whatever it is that your goal is, you want to surround yourself with people that are where you want to be or heading in the exact same place that you're going, and um, mm. you feed off of. I mean, granted that it's a positive and encouraging environment, which normally it is if it's the right thing. Um, you feed yeah. off of each other's energy and you support each other and you build each other up and that's what makes it better. And sometimes social media has that little way of like weaseling. You see uh, someone and it weasels in and it digs into your head and you're like, but but, but that person. And it's like you got to just cut it, can't have it yeah. in your head. I'm still like, okay, I'm up to two people. <laughs> I just don't know if I have five. <laughs> Do I hang out with five people on a regular basis? No, you I don't. Do. Need, you don't need just, five. No. Again, um, Matt Fraser, I was listening to a podcast with him the other day, or maybe it was something on YouTube, but he said, I'm not impressed by how many friends people have. It's how long they've had those friends for. Yeah. And it's true. You want people in your life that are going to build you up. And again, going back to Mia and Phil, I love some of the conversations that they have with each other in terms of, you know, Phil realising that they both couldn't continue to pursue being professional athletes. And Mm. so he's taken a step back this season and the season going forward. And, like, you know, that doesn't mean that he still can't compete and whatnot. But, I, yeah, I love those conversations and it kind of challenged me to think as well about this year has been a great opportunity for me to really invest in myself and my Mm. training Um, but what does that look like next year when we come home to Australia? You know, Mm. do I go back to work full time and give Luke a chance to, you know, pursue goals that he wants to pursue fitness wise, like Brazilian (laughs) jiu-jitsu and all that stuff, (laughs) but you know, who am I to stand in the way? And again, we've talked about the sacrifices that people surrounding you Mate. that we need to recognize that. Yeah. But it's kind of like as well, we're talking to a lot of people who just go, you know, go to the gym five or six days a week, but you know, are there conversations that you need to have with your family or, or even like if you do decide that you want to take your training a little bit more seriously, sometimes you do have to have those conversations with the people around you. Mm. 
that this is something that you're taking seriously. Like I know I sometimes have those hard conversations with my family in terms of the food that I'm eating mm. or, you know, if you're making conscious decisions because we know that, you know, what how you perform in the gym is only, you know, 20%. A lot of it happens outside, you know, how you're sleeping, how you're mm. eating. And so that obviously affects the people around you too and social situations. So, yeah, I was just really challenged when she was talking about those conversations that her and Phil continue to have mm. um, and how important they are. Well, and I think that's like I said, if the people that are in your life and you surround yourself with are like-minded and they're on the same journey as you are, those conversations don't really have to be that difficult. They can actually be really easy. It's like, you know, if you and I went out for dinner, you'd be like six o'clock dinner and I'd be like, let's go. (laughs) You know, whereas some people (laughs) are like, yeah, some people be like 6 p.m. What do you mean? Like I've just gotten home from work. So it's, there are, you know, that kind of environment and, you know, he, Phil and I nearly called them fear. That's the fear. Um, having those conversations and, oh, well, you know, creating that kind of network around them where they are in a position where they can do that is like super beneficial. And, you know, you, you've, you moved as much as, you know, you're pursuing your own fitness goals. Now you also moved country for your husband. So you mm. left all of your routine and everything here. And then I, I know Luke appreciates that more than anything, but like, it's the same, uh, you know, any kind of dynamic like that, it goes both ways. And, uh, people are always making sacrifices for each other, like partnerships. And I, yeah, I think it wasn't until Christy said that that I was like, "Oh, I need to um, be more grateful for those things," you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And um, yeah, if you haven't listened to that episode five with Christy Hollard, mm. she had some great pointers about the sacrifices people make. Speaking of moving countries be very interesting to see how you know I've got what four months left here but how I go to adapting back to life at home like whether my routines become and and I've definitely changed a lot of things like the time that I train here I um I I definitely understand I'm going to piss a lot of people off by saying this but I'm just going to be completely honest like I wake up in the morning I make a coffee I read a chapter of my book and then I go to the gym and train. And I know that that everyone who does the five class of dance is like, you. you bitch. But I train from like eight o'clock in the morning because I feel like then my body's awake. And for me, a big thing is grip strength. When I first wake up in the morning, that's the big thing I notice. I can't grip things properly until like half an hour after I wake up. So oh I'm my like, God, okay. I thought I was the only person. I like, I'm no. like, Matt's like, why do you bang everything in the morning? I'm like, it's my hair. You can't, and it's actually, um, I heard Dr. Andy Galpin, I'm going to research this and bring it up on the next podcast, Mm. but grip strength is a really good indicator of whether you're fatigued or not. Mm. Um, Like he was saying that you don't need to wear things like, I mean, I'm not going to mention the name brand, but you know, Mm. wristbands that people wear to tell them whether they're in a certain color and recovered (laughs) enough. But he said the the best way is your cardiovascular endurance. So um, he has this test and again, I'll, I'll research it. And so I've got it exactly and we can all do the test together maybe on the next podcast, yeah. but um, a breath thing that um, you can lay in bed in the morning. And when you first wake up, try and do the breath thing. And if you can't fulfill certain requirements, you shouldn't train that day because you're mm. not fully recovered. He said, if you ever um, go to gr- your grip strength is a really good indication of whether you're fully recovered too. So if you are really struggling to grip something, 
you shouldn't train. Yeah, wow. And as soon as he said that, I remembered back to this one session about six months ago where it was a, meant to be a rest day, but I had some of my uh, ring muscle up drills that I hadn't done that week. And I'm like, I'm just going to do them. I got to the gym and I could barely grip onto the rings. And I was like, what's going on? And I remember thinking it was so weird. And then as soon as he said that, I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. And so, yeah, I, I and it, for CrossFitters as well, we should get immediate feedback. Mm. And I, I mean, it's a very hard conversation to have because if the 5.30 a.m. class is your only window to train, like you don't really have another option. So you kind of got to work with your body in that way. But I'm just very lucky here that I had that routine where I can let myself have at least, you know, sometimes it'll only be 40, 45, 50 minutes after waking up, then I go to the gym. Yeah. But at home it was kind of like bang, bang, bang. And sometimes I was like turning up at the gym like, where? how did I get here? You yeah. know? And I know a lot of people out there are like that. Um, but I'll just be interested to see what happens with work and whatnot and how I adapt when I get home in terms of um, – yeah, pretty keen to bring back some of the things that I've learned about sleep and recovery and whether that means that I train a little bit less to train at hours that are more optimal to me. I don't know. I don't know what that's going to look like, but um, I don't even know how I started talking about this, but grip strength. <laughs> Listen, I love it. I was like, when you said that you, you feel like you can't grip things in the morning, I, I honestly, I felt so silly when Matt was like, I don't understand what you mean. And I'm like, I feel like I go to like, close a cupboard door but I'm like not holding on pro and it like slipped or whatever I feel so useless and it's not until like an hour and a half later where I'm like oh I'm fine now I just like I needed to wake up I'm okay like you know but it was like that moment of like fatigue and tiredness when you wake up in the morning and nothing's working properly you know how I love a research project that's my homework for Mm -hmm. this week until next week's podcast to research about grip strength and recovery and to learn that breath technique mm. and to teach everyone Next. so that you don't have to pay any money for recovery tools. You just got just it. Just those. You just got to do those yeah. two things. <laughs> don't. That, you know, there's lots of things that you can do. <laughs> <laughs> I swear I work. People are like, what do you do? I'm like, yeah. I do work. I coach. And I, <laughs> um, I've, I've loved, that's one thing I've loved about COVID too. You know, before some words that no one's ever said I know (laughs) I was like don't take me out of contents don't like use that as a grab but um never before like before the pandemic we wouldn't have thought to start a podcast on the opposite side of the world Mm. and there is no way that my work would have been like yeah just work over there you Mm. know like I don't have a cameraman with me but they've become we've become so adaptable in the pandemic that you know everything's online so Every cloud has a silver lining and that's the one from the pandemic that people have become more adaptable and like being able to work your own hours. Work from home. Um, Exactly. Work from the other side of the world. It's all good. Do you know what my number one takeaway from COVID is? Is in restaurants how you can just... Your home gym? Sorry, you're bad. (laughs) (laughs) But in restaurants how you can just scan the barcode and place your order. You don't have to go up to the counter anymore. You don't even need a menu. You just scan the little QR code and the menu comes up and you place your order on the phone and off it goes. You know why they don't have that in America? Because wait staff. Mm, gets, and you yeah. get so many tips. I was like, well, that's another reason to come home. The exactly. QR codes. QR codes, mate. Before they were taking all of your information, but now. <laughs> 
I'll work it all out. Oh. But I have a research project and I'm sure you'll find plenty of in- interesting things uh, to do in our week while we're apart. Yeah. Um, but as always, thanks for listening. Hopefully next week we can come back with new stats saying that there's two and a half thousand listeners. But like we said at the start of this episode, we're so appreciative to you guys all having us in your ears once a week. And um, we'd also love to know what you want us to talk about. Mm. Um, so DM us, chat to us in person if you see us, but um, the place to do that is the Points of Performance podcast Instagram page. Um, send us your gym fails or any topics you would like us to discuss on upcoming episodes. And uh, just remember, guys, if you are listening to the podcast, share that shit on your stories. Yeah. And then more people can have us in their ears. Thanks, Until guys. Until next week. I'll chat to you then. Bye. Bye.